Hello, I'm Amy Robinson and welcome to I'm Fine Thanks, a series of heart-to-hearts delving into all things mental health. Today's episode, we're talking to marketeer, entrepreneur and founder of Now We Win, Ed Stoner. Ed has been on a journey with gambling addiction from a young age and is now wanting to speak out and be open about his story to help other people that may relate to his story. Ed this year has founded Now We Win, a social enterprise to help people recovering from gambling addiction. We talk about the power of sport and how it has the power to change people's lives. From a societal impact, but also the parallels between pushing yourself in sport to reap the rewards and how that mental reprogramming gets filtered into our daily lives. Something that is very much at the heart of the Now We Win sessions. We also discuss the importance of having a goal, living with meaning, that perhaps this goal of freedom from obligation perhaps isn't actually one that we should be striving for and how important it is that to have that external structure to feel as though we're living with purpose. Ed Stoner, welcome to I'm Fine Thanks. Thanks Ed for coming and chatting to me today. I have to say having spoken to you those few times you're very driven to succeed. You're very ambitious. And I find that ambitious really contagious, which I find that's why I really have enjoyed when we've oh, been speaking. <laughs> <laughs> it is very contagious. It makes people maybe do a bit of self-reflecting. And I was really interested about your story because obviously your new ambition of what you're doing now mm. is creating Now We Win, which we'll dive into. But what I love what you're doing with what you're doing now is creating something positive out of a darker time in your life. And that's something I've noticed so much with doing this podcast is everyone that I'm speaking to, the correlation theme, though every story is very, very different and they all come at different angles. The ongoing theme is that we utilize our darker times to get us to where we are, but yet we're not willing to talk about those darker times. So I'm curious before diving into your story, how do you feel now talking about your battles with gambling? Yeah, that, that's a really great point. And you're right, people hero the, their dark times. Almost every prominent person now openly speaks about how like difficult their scenarios in, in past was. But they can do that from a position of strength. Mm. And when you speak about such sort of difficult times that may not necessarily reflect that well on you in wider society, I think it's important to be, to be vulnerable and not just show people the journey from if and when you do succeed, but to, to speak about it straight up. So, yeah, I guess I'm still like making my way in the world. You know, I'm, I'm not like a multimillionaire or like a celebrity who suddenly like made it. I've had six years of not gambling. I still definitely have my ups and downs, but I felt like now would be an interesting time to talk about it, try and create some positive change from it, but also tell a story that hopefully can be a bit more relatable to young people out there and to people who are in situations a bit more similar to mine than maybe a Prince Harry or a David Beckham. Yeah, and this kind of ambition that I have seen very prominent when I chat to you, it's almost, you know, entrepreneurial, risk-taking, do you, was it something that you've always been that way or have you almost rechanneled that risk taking from gambling into other areas of your life to, you know, make you this entrepreneurial well, persona? Well, ironic, you know, using my risk taking from gambling to set up a gambling recovery service. <laughs> well, who'd have thought it? But, 
Yeah, I didn't see that coming. But I thought about this a lot because after I had my problems with gambling, I felt like the risk taker in me was the gambler in me. But the more I examined my past, the more I realized that I was always a very competitive, ambitious, and slightly creative. And I think now my narrative, <laughs> to be clear on this is, and what I genuinely believe, so this is not just like fake stuff, is you know, I got waylaid by gambling for a few years of my life. And that was absolutely terrible and had like shocking consequences. But in my recovery, while it was important to get on sort of more of an even keel, I really sort of recovered by embracing who I am rather than trying to completely remove that risk-taking side and thinking, oh, I can never be an entrepreneur or I now need to live like a monk for the rest of my life. Like, mm. and, and that's the message I'm also trying to send when it comes to gambling addiction. People are often and unfortunately kind of waylaid when they have the character traits that like, I have. Because it is this sort of high octane like mentality. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't move on from those difficult times and learn to sort of temper and channel those energies into better places. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Like I, I have an ability to have stretches of unbroken focus. I have an Excel document where if I'm working, I note the time. And if I pick up my phone or if I go to the toilet, or if I'm distracted for more than a minute, then I note down the time to clock out of that spell of work. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, like it's serious, but there are so many distractions these days. Yeah, and yeah. I, I need to take a leave out of that book. <laughs> but, but genuinely, how I've been able to achieve anything in my career is by having those sort of unbroken spells of deep work. And there are parallels with being completely 100% absorbed in whether that's gambling, hmm. And just in the kind of trances that I used to be, where maybe I'd be on Betfair for like seven hours straight and just block everything else out. Mm. There's definitely opportunities for people to sort of channel their energies positively, mm. who may have had compulsive behaviors in their past. And I'm not advocating for like substitute addictions here. No, like yeah. there's a big difference between me working on a marketing plan for, you know, four hours and then watching Netflix for two hours than yeah. what I was doing when I was gambling as a, as a young man when I was honestly 24 hours at times and just doing things completely detrimental to my to my health so I really like that idea of not removing personality traits and also not being de defined so you're talking about saying that these are personality traits I used to think was correlated with the addiction with the gambling but actually no when you root down into it this is mine and yes I used it for gambling but that doesn't mean I can't still use that in other places but they can still be a positive thing that I can be applying mm. to other areas in my life yeah well I'd say I'm still deeply conscious of this because now if you search my name on google my podcast interviews come, come up with me talking about my gambling now we win comes up and it was like very prominent on my LinkedIn. Mm. However, like I, I'm also an entrepreneur and if I want to raise money from investors, I really wonder if, if it's going to have an impact in people's minds that, okay, well, this guy did have a gambling addiction six years ago. Maybe they think of the, the mantra of, you know, once an addict, always an addict. Mm. Is he someone I want to trust my money with? Do you think some of that could also be your inner demons of your fear and all that time that maybe there was some secrecy and shame building that that can be maybe your inner demons telling you that wow <laughs> so, so yes however like it's almost a feeling of being handicapped by a stigma that i'm trying to break down hmm. and it, 
Yeah, it has definitely blown my mind. I, I got a flat recently as well. And, you know, with a flat, you have to do all the applications and all the financial checks. Yeah. And you do your credit checks and your history. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if they also looked at my Twitter, which is me talking pretty candidly about losing extreme amounts of money like when I, when I was younger. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like as a society that there's a lot of work to do. Especially when it comes to addictions. Even the word addiction, I, I don't really like it at all. It's something that is, is stigmatizing. It's people being known as addicts. Yeah. Like, I'm just... Not running with the word addict. And I want to touch on some society and cultural references for people who have... And maybe the way that they've seen gambling. But I want to kind of dive first into your story. And I guess how... When did you first, well, start gambling, but also when did you first start getting that feeling, that rush, I guess, was addictive? Yeah, so I imagine most people listening have probably experienced the rush of, of winning a bet. Yeah, and me included. <laughs> it's, it's quite a nice feeling. You know, you're programmed to get the, the dopamine hit and you feel like you've beaten the system. And I think you're definitely afforded some like status and respect from others as well even though it's mostly based on luck, right? So all of these things are, are things that I've craved, especially as a, as a teenager. As I said, I've always had a, like a bit of a chip on my shoulder, a bit of like extra ambition. I was known as for being competitive. That meant when I went to Labrooks when I was 15 and started realizing that rather than just telling my mates who I thought was gonna win the football, I could actually try and you know, outsmart the system and uh, try and make my pocket money that way. So it was a very, very young age. And I definitely had some fun gambling. And this is like a difficult admission to make because much of the recovery community is virulently anti any form of gambling. But it did serve a purpose in my life for some point. And that purpose was obviously misdirected and detrimental to, towards me, but I need to understand why I was gravitating towards it. Hmm. And over the years, from the age like 15 onwards, I would increasingly try and make money betting on football and try and kind of get that high. At that stage, I was gambling mainly with other people. But when it got like really bad was when I left school and I took a year out and I spent a lot of time on my own. And I was thinking, okay, like now I actually need to make some decent money so I can go traveling or like do what I'd like to do. And I also discovered that it was a lot easier and quicker to log into Betfair than to go down to the, the, the local shop. So I lost that like layer of accountability to anyone. And Betfair, like it makes it seem like you're trading, not gambling. Even the ads now make it seem like a very professional operation rather than just, you know, having a flutter or like having a punt. And this is when you begin to get ideas above your status, like, oh, I'm a trader or I'm someone who's not just a, a standard kind of layman. Mm. Yeah, the gambling escalated then. And I feel that if I maybe had another entrepreneurial project, it might not have been something that really ultimately hooked me the way it did. Mm. Um, that it was clear that it was during periods of boredom, loneliness, depression at times, and not really having a goal, that I would just instinctively gravitate to gambling. And once that like rush in you becomes so ingrained, then everything else is incredibly boring in comparison. Yeah. You know, you start turning down the really enjoyable, like pleasurable things in life, like, you know, going to the pub or like seeing some mates or even playing sport, because yeah. nothing can really compete with this feeling of being like totally on edge. Like I I wanted to be at the forefront of doing a business deal or I wanted to, as a goalkeeper, I wanted to be 91st minute having to save a pen 
to ensure that my team could win. Like I've always been motivated by having these like fairly high adrenaline and extreme experiences. And I could have them in my bedroom yeah. on Betfair every, every day of the week, you know, betting on like the Bolivian Premier League. Yeah. And yeah, that's when it became a pretty serious issue. Yeah, I remember I was earning minimum wage and I'd get tips from working in this like Belgian coffee shop. And I created this like stack of all my tips and it, it came up to like 120 quid or something, which, yeah, it's not that much money. But my first thought when I finally quit the job was I'm going to put all of this on a random accumulator on like five football teams. And yeah, I just like lost it all again. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah, pretty sad. But then I, I went to Africa and I had my adventure in football where I became a football agent and, you know, sought my adventure and experience and intrigue in that world for a few years. And I'd say the gambling happened on and off during that time. Periods of low self-esteem. When the football wasn't going that well for me as well, when my players weren't doing that great, I was 19 and I was managing African international players. I mean, that must be a high in itself. Oh yeah, exactly. Plus, the feeling of representing a footballer on a pitch is arguably the biggest bet that you can have. I'd say at that stage, my self-esteem would fluctuate between being, okay, I'm pretty much living my dream. I'm negotiating with CEOs of, well, Scandinavian football clubs and scouting players in you know, Uganda and Kenya to a few months later, like, oh, hang on, nothing's going as it really seemed. Players aren't doing very well in Scandinavia because <laughs> they don't like the weather. And, <laughs> it's a bit uh, of a contrast. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> and I'm beginning to kind of really question my life again now I'm at uni doing a history degree which I have no interest in so yeah yeah, it was definitely those like fluctuations that kind of exacerbated the urges to gamble it was during my first year of uni you you get into this hole where you feel really ashamed about what you've done and it feels like there's no turning back and what you want to do or what I wanted to do is just let's just erase that past I don't want to address it I don't want to admit to it I just want to say okay I'm an optimist tomorrow's a new day let's erase it After my gambling binges, this is really weird, but I used to try and sort of cleanse the feelings from it by having a bath and listening to Enya. (laughs) And then like waking up the next day, like nothing had happened. Yeah. But then of course, like the whole cycle would happen again. And as much as I love Enya, like she (laughs) couldn't stop me from losing all the money betting. So, and then things came to head when, again, I was really disillusioned with life at uni, not being as successful as I thought as a football agent and also living at home in my second year of uni I was just not around people I was a bit lonely and yeah that's that's when I ended up gambling away like all of my student loan and all the money I'd earned through football and Mm. I actually had to make a choice whether to come up with this scheme about like moving to a different uni and dropping out because I'd not gone to any lectures for like months on end and didn't do any exams or actually telling everyone what had happened and then going back to uni and sort of begging to be readmitted the next year round. Which route did you take? Well, I, I did tell him in the end. It was out fishing one day with my dad and classic kind of father and son activity. But yeah, I wasn't, wasn't catching any fish and my mind was absolutely elsewhere because I just knew I had this like awful lingering situation that just had to come out. And mm. yeah, and that's when I told him. It's not really about the money when you're at that level. It's just that your, your mental health is absolutely destroyed hmm. and you think you've done the worst irredeemable thing in the world and you can't see beyond that you know I wish I approached it with more of like a learning mindset rather than a I have to be successful like imminently because now I look back on it 
and the benefits I had were the experiences rather than any material rewards. Yeah. I think a good reminder to anyone who's like young and going through issues, like, you know, maturing is, is a long and, and it's a long process. It's a long yeah. road. And I guess like, I would also say I'm still doing it. Yeah. Like, it's almost a lifelong thing. Absolutely. And yeah, you should never think, oh, now there's a point where I should be like 100% sort of adult per se and like never talk about my feelings or like yeah. never look to, to kind of move forward. My dad gave me but one of the best sayings that I always reflect back on. He said, never trust anyone who says that they know everything because only when you admit that you probably know nothing is when you're going to always open your knowledge to learn more. And I always take that on board with me. That's great phrase. It's so good. But how did you feel when you had actually said the words out loud? There's the huge relief that, you know, people are actually there for you. And then there's kind of a really nice period where you think, oh, it's all done and dusted. It's never going to happen again. And yeah, everything improves instantly. And I see it with people now we win sessions. Everything improves instantly, no matter how bad you are. The moment you mention it to other people and get it off your chest, there's huge relief. However, <laughs> like, and this is something I, I don't really like reminding people, but I feel occasionally I have to. You know, addiction is a really awful and, and pernicious thing. I did go back to gambling after those moments, which I guess shows you how much of a hold it can have on you and also how much you need to focus on getting support systems in place, which I didn't at that point, and also dealing with the underlying causes. So I stopped gambling for like six months and then when I had a period of feeling really low and wanting to make money and wanting to make the money back that I'd lost and also I was a bit off the hook mm, at that stage, yeah. like no one really thought I was going to do it again. Well, I did. I didn't really have a set goal or a set plan. I knew it was a bit of a vulnerable time. Yeah, just slipped back into his trance of betting all my money on the French Open in two days. Don't even really like tennis. And yeah, so it felt like back to square one again. But now it's been like six years. So when was the last, when was your last bet? June the 7th, 2014. And that's like, that's etched in my mind. And I think it is good to have those sort of moments where you draw a line in the sand. In the intermittent years, there are maybe a few behaviours that I've undertaken that could be construed as gambling. And I just, I know I can't invest in stocks. Yeah. And in business as well, maybe there are like a couple of moves, which yes, I'm like a risk-taking entrepreneur, etc. But it's a fine I still line. can't. Yeah, exactly. It's a fine line. And it's one that I, I feel like I'm in a space where I'm navigating. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas four years ago, I don't think I was as conscious of that hmm. and really saw the gambling as just a very separate thing rather than something that is still like active in a way. Do you have a support network around you now that helps you kind of keep that fine line in place? Great question. Well, I'd say the now we win sessions every week yeah. at the moment. And the fact that I've like... I've and you're hosting them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm hosting and facilitating them. Now it's at the point of no return because I've also spoken about it publicly. I'm here speaking to you. So, you know, thanks. That's for your accountability. Accountability buddy. Over the years, like, I've seen various life coaches and therapists at sort of particularly difficult moments, which, which has been really helpful. I think it's, it's a case of just being ultra conscious. Hmm. Um, and do you see patterns now, like or what was we were saying, the patterns of the risk taking and the, how it's such a fine line, but do you see that stuff like even, you know, social media or on your phone or computer? Like, because hmm. also betting, you're talking about it being online. Hmm. So, and I think we underestimate how addictive technology is. Yeah. How do you kind of find that parallel? Yeah, so I'd say firstly, I don't really get urges to gamble anymore. There's 
addiction and then there's like a period of recovery and then for most people like me who when it's been many years is yeah kind of back to almost a state of your normal traits and as I said originally some of my normal traits are like risk taking and getting like quite focused on things you know being a bit like compulsive and yeah definitely would be more liable to becoming tech addicted and have to sort of keep a lid on it as I say in the now wing groups like these guys are they're zen masters of habit habit formulation Hmm. and that's what we're up against yeah right the geniuses you work for you know betfair william hill etc they are just designing environments that are geared to, to keep you gambling and therefore you need to learn about those and acknowledge them with books like Atomic Habits that <laughs> <laughs> you're reading yeah. in order to counter them yeah. as well. Plus, and this is where I think people who are susceptible to addictions do have a kind of superpower. If you can fall into such a powerful habit, if you can channel that, then you can also create incredibly powerful positive habits. So. Absolutely. Do you feel we as a society see gambling addiction through the same lens as we do alcohol or drug addiction do you think do you think that they handle it with the same severity i feel like there's maybe even more of a stigma around gambling addiction because there's no substance involved Hmm. so people feel like it's purely a moral failing Hmm. interesting because yeah with, with alcohol and with drugs there are a lot of theories and not necessarily all like totally proven about how it is the substance itself that has like addictive properties but then not everyone who takes drugs gets addicted and and not everyone who you know drinks like I drink Hmm. gets addicted so I think yeah gambling is also twinned with the urge to make money which is generally seen as a bit of a negative trait in society as well so it's this kind of like spivish image of these guys who are just like chancers and risk takers and irresponsible people also the fact that losing money can can lead to people committing criminal acts or stealing family savings like etc so do i think people with gambling addictions like have any responsibility for them it's a very hard moral question i think you can be responsible for some of the circumstances that lead to an addiction by not sort of seeking help by not realizing that this was becoming a destructive force in my life earlier like i probably have some culpability and that's that's a hard thing to feel however it is an illness yeah. and creating sort of more shame and responsibility and stigma around that doesn't help people to get help. I also think, I think from observing, and funnily enough, I've only really observed it, observed it or thought about it more this year, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, our capacity or lack of, I should say, for error in our society, whether it's in our family or like in a work environment, for example, if you've got it wrong, not necessarily telling your employee like, oh, you've messed up or whatever. And as opposed to creating space for error to learn and grow and almost that everyone ends up fearing that punishment because there's no room for getting it wrong, that then people keep it more of a secret for a lot longer length of time. Did you find that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's also a matter of personal pride. Mm -hmm. And I think being a fairly sort of competitive man, admitting that you've made mistakes and screwed up in order to prevent them becoming even more destructive. It's just like a huge trait that we should all be learning. Yeah. You're teaching and yeah, should just be present. Creating a trusting and positive environment where, where people can be open is, is hugely important. I found this tweet of yours the other day and I loved it. So I pulled it out. 
Major learning of my 20s. I prefer to be borderline stressed and emotionally uncomfortable trying to do something than not have anything to do at all. I've hung out with too many depressed millionaires to know that having something that fills you with passion is what truly makes you rich. Yeah, and this is something I learned last year is when I left my job at Adidas and sort of struck fortune by landing a consultancy contract with them straight after. Essentially gave me freedom for like six months or or so I felt. And, you know, I'd left this like tightly controlled environment, which was amazing. I had four years there. I had a community. I had people keeping me accountable and I had shared goals. And all of a sudden I was sitting there on like my 10th beach of the summer, just thinking, well, you know, what now? (laughs) Seriously, like, is this it? And I was kind of endlessly scrolling in my, my notebook, trying to find something worth doing. And yeah, I did. I went back to Africa. I traveled around in Europe. I like tried to reignite so many passions from within. But in the end, and this is being very like open and honest, doesn't reflect well on me at all. I just went home and had a bit of a, a sad time for a few months when I could have done so many different things with, with that time. I now realize that by having no constraints and by having no goals or, or things that push me from an external perspective, I had a miserable time and th- that's just not the way for me to live. This mm. goal of like freedom from obligation, mm. kind of financially and otherwise, is actually not a good one for me. Yeah. Yeah, I prefer to work hard and then to have a few hours, you know, on the couch watching Netflix and... You appreciate it more, don't you? Because Absolutely. you go as deserved. So I want to talk about what, what's making you rich at the moment. Mm. Now we win. <laughs> Morally and spiritually rich. What fills you with passion is what truly makes you rich. So this is exactly. now we win. Yeah. So talk me through this social enterprise and how it, how it came about. Okay, so I've had this idea for eight years. Eight years? Yeah, <laughs> which, is, oh, wow. uh, which is crazy really. And it was about time for me to, to do something about it. So I'm delighted that it's out in the world. I had the idea the moment I walked into a Gamblers Anonymous 12-step meeting. And it's it's a program that has helped hundreds of thousands of people around the world. There's one for alcohol, AA, famously. I, I approve of everyone meeting up and being in the same room or the same Zoom call and sharing their problems and, and looking to overcome them. However, I don't really agree with the format, the ideology and the general vibe. As a sort of young, ambitious guy going in there it felt like a kind of punishment for my addiction and firstly you introduce yourself you say hi i'm ed i'm a compulsive gambler or hi i'm ed and i'm x y and z so you're defining yourself by a negative period in your life Hmm. so immediately i was like okay warning signs (laughs) and then you read often like the same passages every week from this like founding literature which is it's a kind of like self-help pseudoscience And there are a couple of the steps in there that I I fundamentally disagree with and just didn't sit right with me. Such as? One is like, remove your defects of character. Oh, wow. Which is like very specific Mm. on, okay, you're sort of a bit of a failure and you need to totally change who you are. So yeah, there's also like quite a strong religious element. And although it's downplayed by a lot of people, it's there in the text. And also the groups are a bit hierarchical about who has the most clean time and like everyone writes it down. And yeah, I've been to a lot and they help me. Mm. So it's actually, it's hard for me to say this Mm. because by going to the meetings and by meeting other people and being accountable to them, I I was helped. However, like just because something helps you and there's some value in it, it doesn't mean that there can't be alternatives. Yeah. 
or that they can't be improved or changed in some other regards. So my idea, which I had in that very first session, was how about combining this with a workout and creating this positive space where people could talk about their issues, but then also talk about the future and then get the endorphins going by doing some exercise and really kind of look forward. So the idea is that you can take the best bits of the 12-step programs, which are the camaraderie, the accountability, <laughs> like some of the rituals even, and you can really create a modern sports-based alternative. So... Mm. Yeah, that was the idea for Now We Win. And during my time at Adidas, actually, I created the Instagram page. And I was thinking about my approach to recovering from addiction. And, and Now We Win was just a phrase that I felt, this is something that really describes it. And <laughs> it's a bit like corny or like, no, there's a guy in the, thank you, there's a guy in the room who said, you know, when you quit gambling, you start winning in life. And that's the mantra. As I said, I believe in a lot of people who have problems and addictions and Especially because there has been some energy channeled into them. Mm. They're not just sitting there doing nothing. These guys have often been waylaid. And that's why I think there can be so much potential for people's recovery. I actually pulled out to kind of touch on what you just said about the amount of energy that gets put into it. Because something that I really love about Now We Win is the language you use around it. Again, I guess also that falls into what you were saying with when you were going to these GA meetings. That the language around it is quite negative. And something that I read from Now We Win was, addictions require the energy of a full-time job. And when you channel that into something positive, the world becomes your oyster. If it can stoke some fire in someone who is feeling an urge to kind of get out of that situation and make a change, that's, yeah, that's what it's about for me. What I love of also the fact that you're bringing in sport into this is because I know from even my yoga or when I, cause I go to Barry's boot camp a lot, how your mind tells you, I can't do this, I can't do this at all. But when you finish that kind of, oh, I've done it, and that's a rewarding sensation that you have, I feel it must be a mental massage that we're almost activating to shift pattern thinkings. And I think that must be really powerful to bring into places like now we win absolutely and after you go for a run after you do a workout or a yoga session by amy at <laughs> now we win, like it, it is the greatest like natural high that we can get hmm. and you've deserved it and you've earned it and there's a correlation between the work you've put in and how you feel and for gambling especially you're looking for shortcuts you're looking at a two-minute betting session that can try and recreate that high but if you're re-establishing that link, as you said, between having to push yourself and then feeling rewarded in a good way, then that can displace these urges to gamble. Hmm. I know everyone's journey is completely different. There is never a one size that fits all. But is there a theme that you see with all the different groups of people that you're having on Now We Win? Is there like one thing that stands out? Absolutely. <laughs> like, I think... It's no coincidence that of our like regular members, about a third are people who play very high level football. And it's very clear that the same single mindedness and competitiveness that's needed to thrive in sports like has a high correlation with susceptibility to addiction. And it was Andros Townsend, the former Leighton Orient Loney and Palace player speaking about his gambling addiction that really reinforced that to me and actually inspired me to, to speak out considering the links with with sport yeah how it must i mean it must be hard enough as it is already holding a space where now we win 
with people going through what they're going through and creating an open space. But how have you found getting men? Because it's at the moment, obviously, that's not to say women aren't invited, but I'm saying at the moment, I think a lot of the audience has been Predominantly young lads, yeah. How do you find getting them to open up in that space? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I'd say often when people have been through incredibly difficult scenarios, it can become a vehicle for not just being open about those, but being open more generally. So when people come to a narrow win session and commit to it, they are showing up and I respect everyone who shows up and they are being trustworthy with the other members not to speak about these things publicly. They are putting their egos aside and being willing to share their vulnerabilities too. So creating that safe space, I think for me is firstly about leadership. I've shared some stuff in there that I've definitely not shared with you know my close friends or my my family. And I think by being open and honest and encouraging that, mm. it's it's something that can help the other guys to get involved as well. Mm. I mean, talking allows others to talk, doesn't it? That's been my biggest learning from doing even this podcast. And I'm reading this book at the moment by this lady called Glennon Doyle, and she said there's there's no such thing as one way liberation. Once you've liberated yourself. It has like that, that trickle-on effect. You liberate mm. your parents, you liberate... And, you know, she was talking at it from also a mother aspect. She's like, when I started living my true self, I allowed my kids to start doing it too. Mm. But that doesn't mean that that's not applicable to everywhere. No, that's, that's really good. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's definitely a kind of waterfall effect on these calls as well. Another thing I've, I've started doing quite recently is instituting exercises within the sessions because I found if I just left it really open-ended like oh guys like how's your week been or you know like how are you feeling things wouldn't necessarily boil to the surface Hmm. but I've been speaking with my executive coach and also a doctor about like potentially good exercises and questions to ask people so I will like explain a bit about atomic habits and then I will say okay like given what you've just seen about forming habits have a think about a time in your life when you managed to create a new habit how did that work for you and then you know people have like an anchor point from which to speak to that often actually opens up many different things from just the question itself yeah but it's like a good stimulus another one asked recently was you know think about like a amazing moment in your past why was it great how could you you know recapture some of those emotions in the future Mm. and it's just super revealing you know Also, I think we underestimate the power of imagination. So things like that, I bet, are so powerful. If you start journaling about those things and those visions, we underestimate the power of manifestation. Definitely, exactly. And with the session, so the first share is about the past, then the workout is the present. We just crack on and do a workout. What more can you do for your mental health than to get the endorphins in? And then the third part is about the future. Hmm. And in the future, it is questions like, where do you want to be in six months? Or who are you doing this for? And again, I think that helps men to have an entry point into talking about more emotional topics than just Hmm. sort of expecting it to come from them naturally. Yeah, it just doesn't, (laughs) does it? (laughs) But I realised, I think, because for me, communication comes very naturally. I'm very aware when communication doesn't for others. If we don't talk we lose the language and then actually unable to explain yourself because you never have had to. And I think that's so terrifying. When I started to think about it like that, I was like, people are losing their language to explain themselves. 
we're becoming mutes. That's terrifying. Mm. And I think that's what I become very passionate about of, you know, let's talk. Talking allows others to talk. Yeah. And also having the courage to, to really say the truth. And I wanted to bring back, I think there's a massive correlation between sports, and I'm going to be more specific and say football and gambling. And I just want to ask your thoughts on, obviously, given you also come from as a marketeer mm. and someone that is come from also gambling addiction, how does it make you feel seeing half of the Premier League clubs having gambling sponsors on their shirts? It's a great question, and it's one that, I've thought about at length. There's an intrinsic relationship between football and gambling and so much of sport is generally funded by by gambling companies. And there's no doubt that all of the marketing is leading to more and more people gambling on a casual basis, but also a proportion of those becoming problem gamblers. So I could there's no way that I could live with myself being a marketer for a product that I think does societal harm. Uh, so that's cigarettes, but cig- cigarettes is illegal to even advertise. And yet we're seeing, you know, I mean, I even found that I didn't realize in China, betting companies, it's illegal. So they use English profile sports players yeah, exactly. to target the Asian market. Yeah, which is astonishing when you think about it. I think uh, Freddie Canute, the severe player, actually he was someone I respect massively for refusing to wear a gambling sponsored shirt. And he did that on the basis of, of his religion, which he said prohibited it. We are seeing more clubs now ceasing their sponsorships with gambling firms. And some of them are citing Mm. the reasons that they think it is a societal ill. So that's positive. Like I, I definitely am sort of an advocate for change within gambling marketing. However, like I don't really agree with the idea of complete prohibition because as you said, in China, they'll find ways around it. Mm. And I also think there's a balance between individual freedoms and responsibilities as well. So to give an example, I, I drink regularly and I'm not like a yeah. chronic drinker, etc. But, you know, they have drinks at the pub. I wouldn't mind drinking being disincentivized. I think that could be good overall for society. But I, I wouldn't really want there to be bans on pubs because I enjoy going there and having a drink. So I think now I'm further into my recovery from gambling. I do have a more rounded and moderate perspective. If it was up to me, sure, I'd still ban gambling ads on football shirts and I'd also put a lot of different regulations in place to stop problem gambling and generally make it harder for people to bet, especially online. But yeah, I'd say I now have a bit more of a nuanced perspective. Now I'm sort of further in and I'm also less angry at those gambling operators because in my personal situation, I did block myself from a lot of the main betting companies. I used the tools they had, like I self-excluded from Betfair, like William Hill, Labrys, etc. But I'd still find a way to bet Hmm. and I'd still manage to somehow go to a casino and and get my fix. So the change needed to come from within. Yeah. By the way, if anyone who's listening has had any gambling issues, one of the first things I recommend now is downloading an app called GamStop, which it does really block access to so many online gambling companies on your phone and takes away that kind of initial instinct. That's so So, good. Yeah, it's, it's a really kind of positive step, I'd say. And how does it make you feel maybe, I mean, I love seeing 
Harry Kane now but when you were talking about Leighton Norrie and bringing in Mind Charity sponsor to the t-shirts now that is that's what we need to be seeing more of sport it does have this incredible power to at least like create positives out of difficult situations and, and to inspire people so oh absolutely that's what it's about you know Adidas like I used to walk through the incredible office like entrance every day and it has you know sport has the power to change lives and it does it does, yeah. Look, I'm Victor's story. I mean, it can bring a nation together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking that even in um, Spain, given Spain has, you know, you have Catalan, you have Basque, countries incredibly divided, but when it comes to the World Cup or the Euro Cup, suddenly mm. everyone releases all those flags and only has the one Spain flag. And it is incredible, the power. That's one thing that my dad used to always say to us, that just power of sports can just change. Yeah, it can change lives. Absolutely. And that's on an individual level, the feeling you get after a workout. I think it's on a social level, that the community aspect of, you know, being part of a team or all watching a game together. And it's also, yeah, on a societal level and look at the great initiatives around mental health in sport at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. How have how have you found shifting that mental state of quick wins to that, you know, saying of ours of slow and steady wins the race? I think the idea of slowing down and embracing slower progress is one that we all need. Just look at how many schemes there are that people still kind of fall for, for wanting to make quick money or projects that fail because people just think of the instant validation they could get from them. Hmm. Like it's yeah, far better mindset to actually maintain consistency, achieve a level of balance. Hmm. And so I have um, a couple of last questions. What does the word addiction mean to you? Slavery was the first thing that came to mind. It means that you are completely and utterly absorbed by something that you feel you can't get out of. Hmm. What keeps your ambition alive? Great question. I think it's the idea of having something to aim for that's bigger than you. Hmm. Because I've sat there having done international transfers at my kitchen table and been momentarily happy for myself and thought that I'd reached life goals. But actually, it's the impact on others that actually makes them achievements. Hmm. And what rituals do you place in your day-to-day for your own mental health? Good question. I'd say when not injured, da- daily exercise. There's nothing better than <laughs> getting up and going for a run. I'm trying to swim and do some press at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, that's absolutely key. Hmm. Uh, it's also deliberately turning my phone over and putting it on flight mode when I, I don't want to consciously use it, which mm. I know may irritate people who I don't text back quick enough. But yeah, for me, that's kind of key for maintaining presence. I think we all need to do that more massively. And how do you think that we can begin to remove shame around gambling? It's a, it's a brilliant question. I think it's acknowledging, firstly, that this is a problem in society and also having, having people speak about it in different ways Hmm. not just wheeling out people who are talking only about their losses and only about how like destructive it is but also opening up the conversation to people who who can talk about life after gambling and how they got out of it and also to lighten the conversation there's there's a guy called gambling guard who's doing these amazing tiktok videos at the moment which are educating young people about gambling addiction just like a really fun and more intuitive way Hmm. And this is also part of Now We Win, using sport and not just talking about the doom and gloom of what an addiction entails and also like the difficulty of recovery at moments, but being more on the the positive side. Hmm. And what is your advice to anyone who is overcoming any form of addiction? 
overcoming this slavery? Yeah, it's a great question. I think forgiving yourself is very important because if you continue to feel that shame and guilt, it's extremely hard to move on. It's also always there. So maybe you'll quit for a while, but there could easily be some other like destructive form of behavior or a relapse like around the corner. It just kind of borrows, borrows down into you. So I think it's that process if we say we need to tolerate mistakes as a society, but like you often need to tolerate your own mistakes and that can be the hardest thing of all. So I think that's key on like an emotional level. Accountability on a practical level is vital. Like we might not like accountability. You know, we <laughs> no might one not. Does. Exactly. <laughs> like no one really does. And as I said, I think external forces are very powerful. And by having to show up to a group every week and say that you haven't sort of succumbed to your addiction, it's a motivator on the negative side, yes, but also on the positive side because you can feel like pride and you can share that with other people. Mm. So I think that's incredibly key. And thirdly, is really looking to get professional support for unresolved issues that may well have led to that addiction. Open up about it, certainly to people who are, who are close to you and who are in your corner. Yeah. That's key. Yeah, there is no such thing as one-way liberation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I think when you're a few years in or further down the line, you'll realise that because of those negative experiences or perhaps because of your addiction, like you may be in a place to inspire someone else who is going through it as well, which is a very rewarding feeling Like mm. once, once you're there as well. Are you feeling that rewards now? Yeah, absolutely. Good. Definitely. Good. So. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Ed, for coming and talking to me about a time that has been very vulnerable in your life. I'm loving seeing what he's doing with Now We Win and hearing him talk about not removing personality traits when one is in their recovery journey, as he so rightly puts it, it's about re-channeling that energy, but still owning who you are and always have been. You can find in the description notes to this podcast links to Now We Win, as well as Ed's socials, where he speaks very openly about his journey and challenges people's thinking patterns. Something that we probably know by now that I am all for. <laughs> I've also placed in the description notes a link to Gamstop, the app that Ed referred to that puts controls in place to restrict online gambling activities. Anyways, thanks for tuning in and until next time. <laughs>